All right, so we're uh, going to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. And uh, when we do that here, uh, ever since we started, we, we've used the same outline that we've always used. And, uh, and uh, it, again, the Lord's Supper, if you learn something new about the Lord's Supper, that's one thing. But the point is, is that it's not really one of those teaching moments where you continually learn something new or there's something to add to it. What the Lord's Supper or communion with God is, is it's something that he instituted. Uh, two things that we're supposed to do as a New Testament church to keep bringing us back and letting us never forget about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is baptism and the Lord's Supper. So when you, if anybody ever wants to get baptized, dude, you can decide that during the service, and usually we are dressed to be able to go baptize you out there. Looks like today, oh, God may baptize you out there. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, when you stand in the water, you've heard me say before, when you stand in the water, what does that look like? It looks like a cross, right? And when I take you down under the water, that represents Jesus' death and burial. And fortunately for you, so it's not a one-hit wonder, I get to bring you back up again. And that represents Jesus' resurrection. And so for you personally, when you are born again, when you give your life to Christ and say, dude, he is my boss, best as I can, I'm surrendering my life to him, that's when you get baptized. And so not only through the ceremony or through the baptism are you proclaiming the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, but what you're also proclaiming is that that's what you believe. You're saying, I am dying to being my own boss, and I am rising now to live with uh, uh, live a life for Christ in his power. Not in my own power, but it's in that resurrection power because that's the only way it can be lived. So that's what you're saying in all of that. The Lord's Supper is something, again, communion is, is again, something that is constantly... He didn't tell us how often to do it. In fact, we're even told that sometimes when it got instituted, and we'll talk about that, how it got instituted today, but uh, in the first century church, there were times where, man, people, families did it every single day. There are certain denominations do it every time they meet. There's people that'll do it quarterly or biweekly or whatever. You know how we do it? When God tells us to do it, all right? I'm always praying, and I'm always asking, God, when are we supposed to do this? And so the last time we had, because we dedicate our whole service to it, I don't ever want to do it flippant. I don't ever want to do it where it's just kind of something we go through, we go through, and it becomes nothing. It's, it's a time where, uh, everybody help me out, it's a time where, let me see your thumbs. Everybody put your thumbs up real super quick. It's a time where we look back. It's a time where we look forward. It's a time when we look in so that we can look around. All right? And I try to make it simple. We try to go over that over and over so that, dude, when you wake up in the morning, there's nothing stopping you from once you get this down and you look at it to being able to look in, to look, uh, or to look back, to look forward, to look in, and to look around. All right? Help me out again. You guys got it? We're going to look back, going to look so we can look in to look around. All right? We got it? Gavin, do you have it, man? Show me, brother. Come on, man. You... God. All right. All right. There you go, brother. All right. So everybody help Gavin out one more time. We're going to look. Exactly, man. So there is, if you can search scripture, which is our final authority, and you cannot find a timeline as to how often we do it, when we do it, how we do it, that you have to have deacons that do it, that you don't have to have deacons that do it. Bottom line is he tells us to just do it. <laughs> yes. And, and so it keeps us fresh with him. 
And it's a, it's a time where, well, again, we're going to look back to remember what he did for us. If you ever lose sight of your salvation, man, of what he did, you become an ungrateful person. You become a carnal person looking for your share out of this world, what you can get out of it. But, man, there's no way you can look back and see what he's done for you and not just be totally humbled and realize why you are his full-time servant and he's your full-time master. You look forward to the fact that he's coming again. Any of y'all believe he's coming again? Yeah, he th- I mean, dude, just do a Bible search. Do a search in the, in the scriptures as to every time he said he's coming back again. And if Christ said it once, it's happening, but he talks about it a lot. He's coming back. And we don't know when. We, and in fact, he told us, I don't want you to know when. Because then, you, what would we do? We'd procrastinate, right? We'd do whatever we want, and all of a sudden, oh, he's coming back today. <gasps> i got to clean my house. We have guests coming. Mean, you know, isn't that what y'all do? <laughs> you wait till the guests are actually almost there, right? Kristen, you ever do that? All the time, right? i got other things to do. i got kids to take care of. But he said, no, your priority, man, is to be looking for my coming. And in fact, I'll just kind of hit this right here real super quick before we get into the other scriptures. I always give you a bunch of pre-messages, but, but man, he tells us in, in uh, Matthew 24, 25, he gives us, he doesn't really give us a lot of signs for the rapture. The rapture is when he takes his church up, all right? That's us. We're the church. We have Holy Spirit living in us. There's going to be a rapture, and we believe that, according to Scripture, is the next great event, unless you're a mid-trib, then you believe you get to go through half of the tribulation period. But I personally believe, and it's nothing to argue over, as long as you're pro-trib, that's going to happen, all right? And he's going to rapture his church. When his church gets raptured, the Antichrist and his system takes over this world, and it's a time for the Jews to become believers because they're going to go through such turmoil that they're going to welcome their true Messiah to come in at that point in time. But it's also judgment on those that rejected his love gift of salvation. And so there's going to be seven years of the worst time this earth has ever seen during that time. And in the first three and a half are times where everybody gets suckered in by the Antichrist. He comes in saying, oh, world peace. And everybody, it even says in Revelation 6 that he's given a, a bow and he takes over the world with a bow. Hey, anybody here a hunter, a bow hunter? Bow hunter, what do you need beside a bow? Arrow. He doesn't even need arrows. You know what happens? They just said, here, fix it, take care of it. Can you believe the world would be so gullible to give a leadership group power over everything to just make, take control and make decisions over everything? Could you imagine such a civilization that would do something like that? How close are we? I'm just saying. But here's what he says. He says, man, the Antichrist is just going to get a bow. He's, got, he's coming in on a white horse. I'm going to save everybody. And everybody's like, oh, save me. Yes. And, and, and he comes in. But then, man, we hear that then there's going to be worldwide war, worldwide famine, worldwide pestilence, worldwide death. And what's going to happen, he's setting things up for everyone to worship him. But anytime anybody worships, who do they end up worshiping? God Almighty. And, and I don't think he likes it. So in the second half, three and a half years, dude, it is nothing but destruction. And you can read that in Scripture from Revelation 6 to probably 18, 19, all up in there, and just read it for what it's worth. Don't try to figure out what every little horn and whatever means because most of us just don't know. <laughs> and, and, and you can pick it apart, but just read it and get the big story. And the big story out of, out of Revelation is what? We win. Everybody get, man, show me your winner sign. You, you know what a loser sign looks like, man. I'm a, that's what, I'm a winner. <laughs> 
Do that at the restaurant today. Go, hey. <laughs> and, and, and the waitress go, what are you doing? I'm a winner. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you know what that means. We win, even though the world thinks we lose, man. We win. That's what Revelation is about. But so anyways, during that whole tribulation, uh, how did we even get on this tribulation thing? <laughs> Where was like, we went, no, before that. <laughs> What's that? God. All right. I got off on a tangent, man. Help me out, Brandon. Oh, yeah, the Lord's Supper, yeah. All right. So he's coming back. That's where it was. He's coming back. All right. So, yes. Oh, this is super crucial, okay, especially for you pregnant women. Hang with me. All right. But anyway, so he's coming back, and he doesn't give us signs really for the tribulation period. What he gives us signs for is the second coming. So at the end of the tribulation period, if you want to, as a believer, look at the tribulation period as land clearing. How many of you ever bought a piece of property with a crummy piece of, uh, of, of structure on it, and you were going to rebuild on it? Anybody ever want to rebuild on a piece of land? Yeah. What did you have to do with the crummy piece of property? You had to clear it off. Bulldozer. Do the wrecking ball. Bam. You had to clear it all off. God's not going to waste time remodeling, all right? Satan and everybody making bad choices messed up this world. Satan, during the book of Revelation from chapter 6 to 19, he's showing you how he's clearing off this earth. And then he's gonna, we're going to have a brand new earth and a brand new heaven. And that's something that a lot of folks forget about. At the end of the tribulation period, when he comes back at the second coming and takes care of things, change up Satan for a thousand years, we're going to have a thousand years of perfect earth like it was before the fall. And you're going to be there if you're a believer. Is that cool? Yeah. And how many of y'all would love to have a glorified body right now? How many of y'all think you have one already? No, I'm just like, <laughs> Scott, you are the epitome of a glorified body, my brother, but <laughs> his wife's shaking his head. Why are you red? Oh, he doesn't even embarrass you anymore, does he? But <laughs> you've learned from my wife. <laughs> but, but we're going to have a thousand years on a perfect earth, man, with glorified bodies. That's what we've, that's what we've got happening. But before all that happens... The earth needs to be destroyed. He's got to bulldoze it all down. And that's the second coming. And he gives us signs of the second coming. You know what he says? I mean, any of y'all know any signs of the second coming? What does he say about earthquakes? Dude, earthquakes are going to start happening in crazy places. And they're going to get, start out, and they're going to get closer and closer together, and they're going to get more and more powerful, and they're going to get worse. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. And, and this is not world war things. This is, this is this ethnic groups going against each other, left and right. Everywhere you look, ethnic groups. There's going to be little civil wars, little genocides going on. Wow. And here's what he says about all these different signs if you want to go read them. He said they're like labor pains, all right? How many of y'all ever had labor pains? And if you guys raise your hand, you've been watching too much CNN. I'm just saying. I'm, just, no. I'm not getting political. I'm just saying, man, we got to change what you're watching. All right, but, but listen, man. He said they're going to be like labor pains. So get this, all right? I only know secondhand. I know my wife was hooked up to some machines when Ashley, I watched all my kids be born, but the first one with Ashley... I'm holding my wife's hand. She's hooked up the machine. I'm like, oh, honey, here comes a contraction. <laughs> How many of y'all had your husband say something like that? 
And you're like, shut up! Okay. No, she didn't say that. She's like, yes, I know, dear. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the machine's a little late, <laughs> you know. But you know what I noticed about the contractions? And you can clarify here, but I'm pretty sure what happens is that they start getting, not that the ones that are far apart are, are easy. Are they easy, the ones that are far? You're, you're great with child, right? And, and, you know, she's like, oh, you're bringing this all up right now. But <laughs> I can't wait for contractions, yeah? But... They start out easy, piece of cake, all right? Nothing like a man cold, all right? <laughs> I'm messing with y'all. Uh, they start out, and they're pretty rough from what I saw. And they, what, what happens? They get closer or farther apart? They get closer. And then do they get closer? And they get closer, and they get closer until it's time for kaboom, man. Dude, I, I, I probably shouldn't even say this, but uh, you know, actually saying, well, then you shouldn't, but... When Ashley was born, I never saw this before. Dude, my wife's got her feet up in the cup holders, you know, that they got. And the doctor comes in, and the doctor has, it's a lady. She's got this mask. It's a clear mask. She puts it on, and she's like this far. I'm thinking, oh, how far is this baby going to shoot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Obviously, there's an umbilical cord holding it, all right? So it ain't going too far, but... But the doctor's like this, and I'm like, oh, I'm thinking you got to like, dude, it's a good thing I ain't delivering it, dude. But anyways, yeah, but what I watch, I watch those contractions get stronger and stronger and stronger. I watched them get closer and closer and closer. How many of y'all are grateful that there are contractions in childbirth? Nobody? <laughs> Nobody? You're not grateful for all right, so let me give you another scenario. I was walking around Haiti one time, and uh, when I was walking around Haiti, it was a full moon, and there were a bunch of pregnant goats that we were following. Why we were following them, I don't know. We were, they were just on the path we were on, and here we are just walking around, and I'm sitting there talking with people, trying to you know, act like I speak Creole real good and everything. All of a sudden, I see a baby goat just go poop right out in front of me. I mean, mama didn't have a baby goat just dropped out. I don't know if they don't have contractions or they don't have what, but it just dropped out. And, and I started thinking about the good thing about, I mean, how would you like to just be walking around Walmart or Target if you're not a Walmart person, sorry, but, you know, walking around, all of a sudden the baby drops out. That's not what happens, right? No, because God says once the contractions start, what is your whole mentality now? What is your focus on life? What's the proverbial husband do? You know, the wife's like, oh, my water broke, contraction. You know, the husband's like, whoa, oh, we got to get this. You know, isn't that kind of what we see? Your whole focus is on, is on now delivering the baby, getting to the position where the baby can be delivered. That's the purpose of these. That's why God gives you a little bit of time and a little bit of time, a little bit of time. He brings you that point. It's a warning. So when you have a woman has contractions and the baby's fixing to be born, is it time to start another construction project? Another remodeling project? Is it time to, wait, let me just paint the living room now. <laughs> Gavin, I know that's probably what you'd like to do, right? But, I mean, yeah, because you're pretty quick at it, right? But, yeah. <laughs> but, so my point is, what, is it time to start another project or is it time to focus on the baby? Focus on the baby. And so Christ tells us that all of these birth pains, that's what he calls them. All the signs of the second coming are birth pains. 
their birth pains. And he said, you're going to see them for generations, and you're going to see these things getting closer and closer, and you're going to see them getting more painful and more powerful. How many of you can say that the crazy stuff in the world you have seen getting closer and closer so, and making us desensitized? Anyone? And, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse, right? And, and that's what he even says. It's going to get so bad, you're going to say, oh, he's got to come back, and he doesn't. And then all of a sudden, there's peace and safety. And he said, that's when I'm coming back. So you be prepared. And the Lord's Supper is there to get us prepared. But when we see the birth pains, can anybody see the birth pains of the second coming? Anybody see those? If you see those, what is our whole life to be focused on right now? Jesus coming back. It's not time to start another project. It's not time to rebuild this place or do this. Our focus is on making disciples. And that's what the Lord's Supper keeps bringing us back to. That's why we celebrate it when he asks us to celebrate it. Because it causes us to look, help me out, look back to what he did for us so we're grateful. To look forward to his coming so that then we can look in to judge ourselves so no one else has to. Because we're here to represent him. And once we have the right mindset, now we look around. And we truly see not that that's a group of snowbirds, but those are individuals that some of them need Christ. Or there's a group of individuals, there's some of those that can teach me a whole lot about Christ. <laughs> we, we now start looking at people as individuals. We start being soul conscious. Instead of, oh, look at the way that girl's dressed. Oh, look at what that girl talks. Look at the way that person does. Oh, look at the way that person votes in the House of Representatives. Oh, look at, yeah. When's the last time you prayed for one of the politicians that you don't care for too much? Or, or, or do you all get in those little discussions like other people about, you know, well, that party, that party, that party, that thing, that thing. Anybody here ever hear people talk like that about the politicians that are straight from the pit of hell? No, I'm just showing up. They're not. They're being powered by that if they're not saved. So what are we supposed to be doing, man? We're supposed to be praying for them. Every time you see something you don't like, something that irritates you, that messes you up in all of that, it should bring you to your knees because what is the only thing separating you from that person? It's the grace of God. Amen? And a Christian doesn't want to see anybody go to hell. So we've got to have something that keeps refreshing us. And that's what this one of the purposes of the Lord's Supper and, and baptism is, is to keep our mind fresh on what the real mission truly is. And so let's take a look uh, at this. And I'm going to let, I think I got this on here, JJ. I'm going to keep going. Okay. We are going to have communion with God. All right. Uh, a, a communion. What does communion mean? Anybody want to help me out? What's that? Hanging out, right? Hanging out with. We're going to hang out with God. God says, here's how I want you to hang out with me, okay? Here's what we're going to do. And so again, we're going to look back, we're going to look forward, we're going to look in, and we're going to look around. And again, this is something we're doing here, but it's not something that has to stop here. You guys can do this in your small groups. You guys can do this in your home with your, hey, uh, can you do this with your family? Yeah, you can do this with your family in your own house. 
You can do this wherever you want to do it. And what a beautiful thing it is when you bring everybody together to do it. All right? So we're going to look back to what Jesus has done for us. All right? And so where I'm taking this from is 1 Corinthians. And um, 1 Corinthians, many believe, was the, the oldest book in the, old, in the New Testament. It was the first book. It was even written before the Gospels were actually written, even though the Gospels talk about time periods prior to that. So the Apostle Paul's writing 1 Corinthians probably as one of the first, if not the first book in the New Testament. So when he's writing it, he's not going back to like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and getting stuff from there. They all talk. They all had their things going on. But this is probably the first official, the oldest book that was written. And so in this, in chapter 11, he starts out with some negative connotations. He's saying, look, you guys are arguing and bickering over everything. Boy, what a great testimony for Christ, huh? <laughs> if you're arguing and bickering and fighting over everything, nobody wants that, right? And, that, and, and, and so that's what the Corinthian church was doing. And that's what Paul's always answering in these different letters is quit arguing and start loving each other. Realize what you have. And here's what was happening with the Lord's Supper. So they had very rich people. They had poor people. Um, they, they had a, a thing. In fact, there was a thing in the first century church called a love feast, all right? It was kind of like a potluck. Y'all like potlucks? Man, y'all are from them country churches over West Orlando. You like potlucks, right? And you can orchestrate and bring, get one going here anytime you want. I'm just saying. I will help you eat that potluck, all right? And might even provide a hog leg for you to cook up on that, right? But, man, they had potluck. And it was like everybody got together for fellowship. And when it all started, it was like everybody just ate. Everybody brought what they had. And everybody got to eat. But after a while, the rich people were like, oh, look what we have. You know, we have caviar. And we have." This. And they all sat down and, you know, and, and they would eat. And they wouldn't in, invite the poor people to eat anything. And some of the poor people, man, they ain't had a food in a while. They were like, man, I just want to scrap. And it got to be a click. It got to be almost another reason to argue and bicker for them. Instead of it being a love feast, it was really a hate feast. And Paul's like, you guys, everything that starts out, everything you touch turns to junk. <laughs> it's like everything you touch messes up. Stop. Quit doing it for yourself and do it for the Lord. He said, even this love feast has turned out to be a big argument and a big fight. So stop. If y'all want to eat, go eat at home or do this right. But what they started doing is after the dinner, they would have the Lord's Supper or they would have communion. He said, now nah, you're tying things in that don't need to be along in there because communion is sacred. Communion is something that is to get you on track as to your real purpose in life right now. So he said, don't tie the two together. So he said, get rid of this. And he said, here's what communion's about. And that's where we start in chapter 11, verse 23. He said, for I am passing on to you. And in this particular passage, we know that the Apostle Paul has told them this over and over and over again. So if I ever preach something that's already been preached, I'm in good company. Paul did it, all right? So he said, man, I, I, what I'm passing on to you, I receive from the Lord himself. It could have been through apostolic teaching and so on, but it, best indication is that he, he got astray from God. God said, this is how I want you to worship me in the Lord's Supper. I pass this on to you, what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. 
We'll stop here and we'll take a look at this. On the night he was betrayed, we have, prior to Easter, talked a lot about the last 24 hours of Christ, the last, um, you know, last sayings of Christ. So, man, it's not hard for you guys to remember some different things that happened on the night that he was betrayed. In fact, let's see how good your memories are. What are some of the things you think about when you think about his last 24 hours, the night when he was betrayed? What are some of the bad things that went down there? Anybody? Help me out. I'm going to start calling, man. Kristen, go ahead. Yeah, the disciples falling asleep when he asked them to pray. And it wasn't even so much pray for me. It's like, dude, Satan's coming after you. You pray and be strong. No, Peter's like, I'm going to be strong. Nobody's going to, I'll go to a death for you. And he's like, no, you're not. Pray, pray, pray. He's wanting the best for him, and they're falling asleep, right? In all that. What else do you guys remember from the, uh, yep, go ahead. Yeah, he was praying so strongly and with such in anxiety man the blood was coming out of his pores which we know can possibly happen and it was because he was going to be separated from god the father for the first time in 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 eternity what else what else what do you think of with the crucifixion with all of this yeah go ahead rick he was mocked yeah how do you like being mocked my brother you probably don't right yeah you were one of them stud little athletes you started your own soccer team at your college right Yes, well, you and Tom need to talk, but I'm just, man, it's like somebody mocks you, dude. Oh, that's it. Draw the line. What else? Denied. denied. What do you mean by denied? Oh, man, his best, Peter, yeah, denied him three times, and yet, and yet he knew that was all going to happen, but it's still as a, as a man, as a person, it's hard being denied, isn't it? What else can you think of when you think back of what he did for you? On the night he was betrayed, what else, y'all? Go ahead, Julia. I see, I see smoke coming out of your ears. Go ahead. The betrayal itself. Woo! Can you think of anything worse than a betrayal? Yeah, someone acting like they love you, and then yeah. And how was he betrayed? Oh yeah, dude. Would if you would have known that was why? If you were Jesus and you knew that's why Judas was coming, would you have let him kiss you, or would you have punched him out? <laughs> I know you. You'd have punched him out. I'm just saying. <laughs> how many of y'all would have punched Judas out? <laughs> I'm just saying. What what else? What else do you think of when you think of that night on which he was betrayed? Just a few more things. Help me out. Yeah, go ahead, Rick. I mean, I, I thought a lot about his emotions during the night. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you think moms take it personal? <laughs> you think moms have a lot of emotion towards their sons? Yeah. And he knew that, man. And yeah, he was broken for her. What else? What is, yeah, go ahead, Erica. <laughs> Missing the point, but he got the blade. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, so that's the opposite of what you guys are saying, that you're watching your daughter make some, and when you give each other a high five when your daughter makes the right decision, it's like... <gasps> No, but God used you. She actually listened. Anybody ever had their kids do something they actually gave them advice to do and it worked? Yeah. Yes, high five. And, and Jesus had no high five when Peter cut off the dude's ear. It's like, oh, you got a long way to go. But fortunately, the Holy Spirit was coming and was going to teach him everything. Yeah, I, I didn't even ever think about that. What are you going to say, Andy? 
Yeah, dude, beaten and having his flesh ripped, cat of nine-tailed, beaten beyond recognition. So anyways, when you think back about what he did for you, we're going to have a moment where that's what you're going to do. In fact, when we do the Lord's Supper, uh, if, if you are a believer, if you know that when you die, you're going to heaven because of what Christ did on the cross, then you're not only encouraged, but you're actually commanded to participate in this. If you're not, it's a good time to think about what's holding you back and why you aren't and become one. You can by just simple confession that comes from your heart to him. But what we're going to do is we will have a time where uh, they're going to noodle on the, on, the, on the instruments or whatever, and you're going to come by and you're going to grab one of these little things with, some, uh, with an oyster cracker in there. I got the good hard ones this time and, and, and a glass of the juice, and you'll understand what that's for. And as you go back, you're going to be thinking about you're going to be looking back. What did he do for me? You're going to be looking forward to him coming back again. You're going to look inside saying, man, okay, what is it that I'm doing that doesn't represent you the way you want to be represented here? What is it you want to fix in me right now? What is it you want to work on? Because God, I got to look out and I want to represent you to this lost world. And so you'll have some time to be able to do that. So Paul goes on and says, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. Why don't you think about this? I was actually going to preach on this whole thing, on this little bread thing, but I'm only going to give you a little bit on this. Um, and uh, w when he took this bread, this was Passover dinner. Chuck, we're getting ready to start on Wednesday night. You asked me what chapter we're on. We're on chapter 11 in Exodus, and we're going to be in chapter 12 this is where Passover got started some 1,300 years earlier. In fact, it was interesting. I didn't really know the time frame, and uh, I Googled it up. I, only was, I was on DuckDuckGo, and, and this morning I was like, hey, how, what was the time span between the Passover and, the Passover and uh, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper? The very first thing came from something called Answers.com, and it said, well, if you believe either one of those events really happened, it's like, what? <laughs> so there you go. When y'all Google some or put it up, be aware where they're coming from. If you believe either one of those really happened, which I do, it's about 1,300 years. So I'm not sure about that answer, but that's, that's probably about right. We don't know exact dates, but basically, uh, 1,300 years prior to this, they had instituted Passover. And Passover was where it was going to be the final plague. In the next few weeks on Wednesday night at Terry and Fernandez's house up on North Beach, we're going to be studying it in depth. And, and, and the angel of death was coming as the 10th plague on Egypt to show them that God Almighty is God Almighty. And Israel could look back and know that they were delivered. From a, they were delivered from the most powerful people in the plan, on the planet at the time from the only one true God, God Almighty. And, and so that's why God went through all these things, and, and, and they, he instituted the Passover. You remember what they had to do? A few days earlier, before it happened, three days before, or right before it happened, what did they have to grab as their own? Uh, yeah, go ahead. A lamb. They had to get a lamb, and it could be a goat or a sheep. They'd get from either way. They had to get a perfect little lamb, all right? How many of y'all would think that's kind of cool, getting a perfect little lamb? Anybody here, animal lovers, you'd like to have a perfect little lamb just from it? Okay, you got a perfect little lamb. All right, and so you got this perfect little lamb, and, and you nurture it for a few days, right? And then all of a sudden, on the day of this Passover, you kill it. And, uh, and, and, and so when you kill it, you, you roast it, you cook it, you eat it, you drain the blood. And what did they do with the blood? 
they took a hyssop, which later we see David talking about, and it was used in ceremonies. They took a branch, and they painted it on the doorpost and the lintel. And they didn't put it on the threshold because you don't trample on the blood of Christ. It would represent what Christ would do. He was the Passover lamb. Everything in the Old Testament pointed to what Christ would do one day. But dude, there's nothing more sacred. When they did that and they put it over, they shut the door. And when the angel of death came through Egypt that night and killed every firstborn animal, slave, king's kid, everything that didn't have that on the door, man, that protected them. The angel of death looked for that blood and passed by. And it was a symbol that one day, that's what our Messiah would do as the Lamb of God. He would shed his blood. And when it comes down to your eternal salvation, if you're covered by the blood, you're going to heaven. You are his child, amen? So at this day, man, for 1,300 years, and if you can Google up a better answer, I am open. I already told you how I got the answer, 1,300. I'm just going to go with it. But... Man, for 1,300 years, the Jews have been doing this. And how important was it to the Jews? I mean, Passover was big business. It was there. And on this particular night, Jesus changed it. (laughs) He said, hey, this bread represents my body. This wine represents my blood that's a brand new covenant. Who is the only one that can change God's covenant? God. So that's why Jesus got killed, because he said he's God. But I want you to know the significance. He changed something that was 1,300 years old. So on the night when Jesus took some bread, he took one of the most sacred nights, these Passover meals with four different drinks. You can do all the studying on all of this. Uh, If you would like to go in more depth, you can start a small group doing it. But the bottom line is he took this thing that had been going on for 1,300 years, and he changed it. He said, I got a new thing I'm doing. Who, again, is the only one has a right to change that? God. What if you got it, Phil, and you're like, you know what? I got a brand new way for salvation. And anybody want, here it is. I mean, dude, I would not be near you because I don't want to get struck with a lightning bolt. But I'm just saying, dude, think about that. He had the audacity to change it, but it wasn't audacity because he's God. And everything in the Old Testament pointed to him. You cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. So he said, I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. One, the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks for it. It's his body getting ready to be trashed is what it represented. Why would he be giving thanks for it? Because it's his father's will. You remember back in the day when there were no people? His father said, we're going to make some people. We're going to give them a free will to choose whether they love us or not by their obedience. And they're going to be messed up. None of them, not, they're not going to choose it. There's an unrighteous, no, not one. But guess what? One day, Christ, you're going to come and live a perfect life. You're going to die on a cross. You're going to pay for their sins. And I'm giving you all these messed up people that you get to die for. And then through sanctification, start perfecting. And then at glorification, when they are perfect, when all of them are perfect, what's Jesus going to do again? Give them back to God the Father, Right? This was all part of the plans. He's thanking God that the plan's going through, but the plan includes him dying, being beat beyond recognition, being betrayed, being all these things. But he's the only one who could do it. Is there anybody else in here that's perfect, that couldn't be perfect and say, I'm, I'm, I'm the perfect person, so I have no sin of my own to pay for? 
No, we all have our own sin. We all have something to pay, pay for. That's why he's the only perfect he, one who could offer the sacrifice in this. So he gave thanks for it. And this word thanks actually is the word Eucharist. It's Eucharisto. Uh, I'm not Greek, but it's, it's, it, that's where we get the word Eucharist. When many people call the Lord's Supper the Eucharist. Um, and what it means is thanks. So if it's called the Eucharist, what are we supposed to be giving God? while we do this. Thanks. How many of y'all are grateful that he did this for you? <laughs> he, so we look back, he said he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in peace and said, this is my body, which is given for, who's it given for? No, who does it say? Read that again. You. you, yeah, it's you, no, you, no, you, no, it's given for you. You think about this. It's given for you. Man, uh, it wasn't just, again, remember what I talked about with snowbirds? Uh, there's a whole pack of snowbirds. There's snowbirds. There's a big pack of snowflakes. Oh, these guys want to be flurries. These guys want, these guys. No, we think about people in groups, but it, dude, when I started getting to know you, I got to know you. I love you. I, I don't love the whole general snowbird population necessarily until I get to know you. I try to, but Think about what he just said. It's broken for who? Everybody, it's broken for, who's it broken for? Everybody say me. Me. He did it for me. He didn't do it for a, a whole mankind. He didn't do it for a, Barb, who'd he do it for? Can you believe that? Would you even have done that for you? Probably not. You know you, but he even knows you better than you know you. And he did it for you. Think about that in there when you look at this. It's broken for you, he said. As an individual, you did, you said, it's, it's for you. So what does he say? Do this and what? And when you remember, which way are you looking? Back, okay? And then look at this next part. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. This is probably like the fourth one. Uh, we weren't there. We don't know. Some of y'all, I can tell you're going to meet Jesus pretty quick, so you can ask him on our behalf and... It could be me, I'm just saying. But, but when we do see, but, uh, you know, it was the last cup of something they've been doing for 1,300 years for this whole meal, and he changed it. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Hey, Sue, who has the ability to change God's covenant? God. He is God. Y'all believe Jesus is God? Man, you kids believe Jesus is God. That's what they're learning down there because, because you know what? It's going to be taken away. You're going to see in your own lifetime where Christianity is, is going to say Jesus is not God. That's what we're here. That's what the Bible says when you look at Revelation, when you look at what Paul told Timothy. They're going to not say Jesus is God, but we know according to Scripture Jesus is God. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with his what? His blood. It's an agreement. Agreement between who? God. Yeah, do you need any agreement with anybody else? You need any middlemen in there? No, you need an agreement with God. You know, and so God made an agreement, and it's based on his blood. It's a new one with Jesus' blood. He said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink this. So what was the old covenant? The old covenant, they had 10 laws, right? 
And then they had, and then they had more. In fact, when God took them out of Egypt, he got them out of Egypt. And a year after getting out of Egypt is when the book of Leviticus was written. How many of y'all have ever read, read through the Bible? You start in Genesis, you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Anybody? Come on, let's hear it. You're like, I'm going to do this. This is good. Genesis, wow, look at these stories. Then you get into Exodus, you're like, yeah. And then what happens when you hit Leviticus? Anybody ever hit that puddle of molasses, Leviticus, and your Bible reading stops? <laughs> you ever been there? And it's like, oh, it's like, oh, my goodness. These laws, these rules. And what that happens in that is we don't understand what it's for. These are God's people. And one year out of getting out of Egypt, you know what God does? He says, this is how I want you to worship me. And if you will read Leviticus one little bit at a time instead of your like Bible reading program to get you through in a year so you can say you did it in a year, but you'll look at it and only read what God wants you to read and understand and see Christ in it every single time. You see, they're ceremonially unclean. It's a time when they need to worship God on their own. They see moral, more, God's moral law is still God's moral law. Whatever was wrong back then is not wrong now. But the ceremonial law, Christ fulfilled all of that. It was a way that they could honor God and worship him because God said, here's how I want you to worship me. I dare you to go read Leviticus one little bit at a time, one story at a time, and find Christ in it. Because it's all a picture of, of what Christ would do. You cut the Bible again anywhere and it bleeds. And that's how they were supposed to worship him. And it was through obedience. The only way they could show God they loved him was by being obedient. What's the only way we can show God we love him? Yeah, but being obedient. <laughs> I love Jesus. He said, if you love me, you keep my commands, right? We obey him. We have a choice. Here it is, man. We have a choice what to do in a situation. Here's what I may want to do, but you know what? I love you, Jesus, so even though I want to do something different, I'm going to do this because I love you. Until you get to the point, maybe there's a point like, I don't even want to do that anymore. I only want to do what he wants me to do, and that's what heaven's going to be. But the new covenant, what's the difference between us and them? They were looking forward to a Messiah. We actually have the Messiah, and he's living inside of us right now. He gives us power. That's what the, the whole up, bringing you up in the baptism is about, is the, is the resurrection and you living with his power. You have almighty God living inside of you. Should that make a difference? Yeah, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God's faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able, but with the temptation, he makes a way to escape. You just got to take his way. You can't create your own. So he's got a new covenant. Do you have to sin? Johnny, do you have to? Does Carol Lee have to sin? Does she have to? No, and you keep telling her that, don't you? You don't have to. Any of y'all remember Flip Wilson? Y'all, how many of y'all old enough to remember Flip Wilson? Some of y'all are like, dude, I don't even think they go I don't even think you can Google Flip Wilson. It's probably politically incorrect now or something, but and he used to. He used to dress up as a woman. You're like, oh, dude, really? No. <laughs> What's so special about that? Everybody does it. No, no I'm just messing. But, but no, it was, a, it was a pretty weird thing back then. And that, there was a day when, oh, yeah, it was a character role that he played. Anybody remember the name of that character? Geraldine. Geraldine. Yeah. That would even probably be racist now, whatever. But anyway, so Geraldine. And she would do the most incredibly stupid 
sometimes sinful things or whatever. And what did she always blame? What was her famous line on the count of three? One, two, three. Yeah, the devil made me do it. And as silly as that was in that sitcom, it's amazing how many Christians adopted that as their theology. The devil made me do it. Oh, the devil made me do it. Well, I guess when I get delivered, I'll be okay. I'm telling you, you're already delivered. You are deli- you're delivered right now. Not because I delivered you, but because the Bible says you're delivered. You don't have to sin. The devil can't make you do anything because of this new covenant. Is that not good? Is that not awesome? Yeah, you choose to, or you get blindsided, you get sidetracked, you get surprised, and, oh, I did it. Anybody do that? Oh, I can't believe I just did that. Mary Jane, you ever done that? I'm never doing that again. Oh, I just did it. Yeah, I didn't do what I wanted to do. I do what I don't want to do. How many of y'all can identify with that? Apostle Paul identifies with that. That's him. We got to, that's why we stay focused on God and seeing life from his perspective so we don't get sidetracked. And when the temptations come, we can take God's way out because he's already promised he'd give us one. So, man, it's all because of this new cup, the cup of the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed. If you have God, Jesus's blood covering you, you're saved and you have new desires to follow him. And so when you do mess up, They're already forgiven. You need to ask for forgiveness for restoration in your relationship, but they're already forgiven. Man, and so again, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So what are we supposed to do? Look which way? Back. We haven't gotten very far today. These probably, we already talked sort of about this. So we look back to what he did for us. So when we are taking time, when you're in line, kind of waiting, and when you're waiting for everybody to get it, and then I'll kind of say the thing, do a prayer, and we eat, we eat the bread, I want you to be thinking about looking back. Say, God, what is it? And ask the Holy Spirit. You can come up with a bunch of stuff, but ask the Holy Spirit. Say, what is it that you want me to remember that you've done for me? Because I think for each of you, he's got something that he wants you personally to remember that he did for you. And he'll tell you that. But then we're not only looking back, we're looking forward to his return. Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So every time you do it, you're announcing his death. I believe Christ died. He was buried, rose again, and he's coming back. Do you believe he's coming back? Does that change the way you live? What difference would it make if you knew, hey, Steve, there's your mom right there, right? Did, did you ever act different? or Was there ever a time in your life where you act different around your mom than you did when your mom wasn't around? Yeah. <laughs> did you ever catch him? Did you ever just know? He was like, oh, you know. But yeah, there was a time because that authority was there. He's coming back. Think about that. He could come back at any time. And I know in the infamous movie, Joe Dirt, his mama used to always say, that where you want to be when Jesus comes back? (laughs) You know, like you're going to get caught doing something you don't want to be caught doing. But let me ask you a question. Where does Jesus live right now? In you. So anywhere you go, anything you do, anything you think, anything you are, he's right there already with you. The omnipresence of God should create a holiness in us. And the fact that he's coming back for us, man, and this is not our home, out of love, we should have that obedience. 
So again, when you're taking your time, think back to what he did for you, but look forward to his, his coming and ask him, say, looking forward to the fact that you could come back anytime, how is it you want me to live now? All through the New Testament, it says it should prompt us to live holy, knowing he could come, he should, he's coming back, you know? It's kind of like, oh, here comes a teacher, here comes a teacher, straighten up. It's not that. He's already in you. He, he's coming back. Check this out, man. When he comes back, it's going to be a victory parade. Here's the king of kings, lord of lords, whatever. And now you're getting in line, and people are like, dang, I don't know how that person got in line. <laughs> Look at the way they've been acting, you know. And in reality, what does it say in Matthew 7? It says there's a lot of people going to be jumping in Jesus' line, and he's going to be saying, no, no, you go over to this other line. They're like, whoa, wait, didn't I worship in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I? He said, yeah, but you and I never had an intimate relationship. Be gone. So there's going to be a lot of church people trying to jump in his line that aren't there. I want to make sure I'm not one of them and you're not one of them. And I can't lose my salvation. That's not what I'm saying, but make sure you got it. We should be looking forward to his return. And we look in. And this was the real purpose of it. I'm going to kind of bust through this because you get the point. Because all I want you to do when you're taking some time with God, communing with him, is saying, God, what is it? Holy Spirit, reveal to me what it is in my life right now that's causing me to misrepresent you. What is it that you want me to do to become more like you? And, and let him answer. But in this, it says, uh, in chapter verse 27, it says, so anyone who eats of this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So if you just go through the motions and you go do it and you don't ask any of these questions, bottom line, he's saying, wow, you know what? I died on a cross and this is where you check yourself. You're taking this flippantly. I must have to do more to get your attention than have this guy talk to you this whole time and give you this opportunity. He's saying, he's saying there's some consequences that come. It's almost like checking in with your superior, checking in with your parents and saying, wow, is there, uh, hey, Marley, where's, is Marley in there? Yeah, Marley, go, go in, go, going to like Chuck or going to Abby, going to your grandparents and every day and going, hey, is there something I could do to be a better boy today? <laughs> do you think they could come up with anything? Think they'd come up with anything, man? Or they, no, Marley, you're perfect, you're awesome. And it's like, no, uh, uh, Grandpa, can, can you come up with something? Not that you've got to come up with now, but if you could come up with something. That's what communion is, where we come to our Heavenly Father and say, is there anything I can do to better represent you? And you can do it anytime you want. We're doing it today, because he told us to. Is there anything I can do to represent you better? And he's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, here's what it is. And if you're flippant and don't do anything about it or don't even do that, He's saying, man, you don't understand the privilege you have, and I must have to speak louder to get your attention. So hear that today. And he eats and drinks of this cup, and the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. He said, that's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. He said, if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. Not damnation, like the King James does say, damnation. But the word actually really means judgment. You're asking God to speak louder, <laughs> to get your attention. You ever had, Brandon, you ever have God get your attention? And, and you're like, okay, I'm going to do it. And it really didn't get your attention. He had to speak even louder. And then he had to speak louder and louder. 
Yeah, he's saying, I don't have to speak that loud. Just let me speak as loud as I need to right now. That's the purpose of this is for. He said, that's why many of you are weak, you're sick. Some of you even died, is what he said because of this. But if you would examine, your, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. He said, man, I, I, if you're misrepresenting me and you're misrepresenting me and you're misrepresenting me, I can take you out especially if you're telling everybody you're representing me. You're, blow, you're going around this world telling everybody this is what God looks like and this ain't what I look like. He said, man, you know what? I can take you home. And that's what happened. And I've watched him do that before. So we look back, right? Which way do we look next? And then we look in, and the whole purpose is to look around. We're almost done here. Look around to help others escape eternal judgment. Look at this. So he said, yet when we are judged by the Lord. So you say, Marley, dearest grandfather, is there anything I can do to be a better grandson and represent you better? You know, and he looks down and says, yeah, you can do this, 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 this. He said, you know, so if, if he does that, you think he's going to be easier on you rather than if he has to just keep giving you hints, keep like throwing you in restraint, keep doing things that, you know, if you ask and he gives you, he's going to be easier on you. He's going to help you. Have more mercy on you rather than having to chase you down and tackle you each time to give you the correction. Right, Chuck? I'm just saying. When you're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will... We're being disciplined. In Hebrews, he says when God disciplines us, what that means is we're his kid. We're his child. It gives us assurance of our salvation. But he says we can be assured that when we know here we're his child... We will not be condemned with the world. We know we're his child, so we're not being condemned with the world. But what does he tell us is going to happen to the world, Chris? It's condemned. It has a choice to give its life to Christ. It has the choice to accept them, but they don't want anything to do with them. And sadly, maybe because they see the way we are. And that's why he's saying we got to look inside. So people say, dude, I think I want that. It's got to be his Holy Spirit changing us, but he wants to use us to be a vessel for that to happen. So here's what we're going to do. Communion with God. Um, I'm going to be quiet here in just a minute. Band's going to kind of play. But we're just going to leave this up here and think about it. I want to challenge you as you're in line walking up there, whenever you decide to get up, to come get some bread and get some juice and, and what it represents. Think about what it represents, but look back. And just ask the Holy Spirit, say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want me to be grateful for, for what you did for me? Because I think he's got something for each of you. And then look forward, say, why should I be looking forward to you coming again? Why should I be? Ask him these questions. And then ask him, I want to look in, what is it you want to change in me so I can represent you better? And then look around. I'm not saying look around in here. But say, God, who is it? Give me some people that you want me to pray for so that they don't die without Christ and they don't go to hell. Give me some people that are watching, some people. Put some people in my heart that I can pray for because you can't change people, only God can. So you talk to him and ask him and let him put some faces in your head because once you realize what you have, you know he's coming to get you. You know you represent him. Man, you want people to have what you have. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this uh, 
exercise, this celebration, uh, what it is we're supposed to be thinking about. Thanks for giving Apostle Paul this outline. And so, Father, I pray that for each of us, we would look back. Take this as a time of reflection where we come to our Heavenly Father and we judge ourselves so we don't um, have to be judged by the world or by consequences. But Father, help us start with looking back and seeing all the great things you have done for us. Father, make it personal for each person here. Father, help us to look forward to you coming back and, and give us reasons why we should be looking forward. Father, that gets our perspective correct. As, and, and I think once we're excited about looking back and looking forward, we have no problem looking in and changing whatever it is you want us to change. Because we realize what a great and important mission we have. No matter what our occupation is, we realize our mission is to represent you on this planet. Show us, Father, some faces. Give us some names to pray for. Some people that we love that we want to see come to you. Father, fill us with love because you are love. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.